Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. set what's going on everybody we are live with underground sports philadelphia episode number 213 coming at you live from Ducharms pro foot in vineland new jersey kb matt hosting the show as always show brought to you by our friends at main auto llc Ducharms pro foot security 21 wainwright bernhardt funeral home paul j gillespie incorporated bob novick auto mall who i have a fantastic deal for you guys from bob novick doing a nice little run of uh, some things until the end of April that you just you need to show up and it's worth it. Spring special, buy one get one, oil changes Necessary. includes a free tire rotation, complimentary alignment check and multi point inspection. Alignment special fifty nine ninety five. Tire balance special twenty nine ninety five plus weights. You want to set that up? I'm intrigued. Call for an appointment, 856-451-0095, or you can go online, bobnovicgm.com. That goes until April 30th. And, of course, it's tax season, Matt. The best in the business in Vineland, New Jersey. If you're in the South Jersey area, you should be getting your taxes done with Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland, and, of course, our merch, Design Tree. They've gone absolutely AWOL, Matt. Six or second half surge. 20% off your order. Entire order. Ultimate spring savings that we're talking about. Here. Use the promo code SPRING20 at checkout. You get 20% off your entire order. DSGentry.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Got a lot to talk about. Sixer Saturday, as always. First spring training game today down in Clearwater. And uh, it looks like a former fan favorite Eagle might be on his way out. But uh, let's get started with the Sixers. Come away with a uh, you know nail biter win against the Nets the other night. Uh, good to have the Sixers back. Joel went off and uh, come away with another home win. Yeah, I mean this was. Um, I didn't look at the uh, the win probability. I should have, but I would imagine this was the most dramatic one that we've had in a while. Uh, definitely probably looked like a, a double <laughs> double roller coaster just because start out you know first quarter at least the first half of the first quarter really strong by the Sixers and. The Nets storm back. Sixers going to buy a bucket for almost an entire second quarter. And uh, you're down by 20. You know, there's a lot of boos deserved as well. And then the Sixers fight back from that. I mean, just absolutely wild swings in this game. Um, and beat, I thought, had a pretty dominant performance. You know, it was the three-point shooting, I think, that was really uh, ineffective in this game. But Embiid obviously has that big block right at the end of regulation as well to, to force it to overtime on, you know, former Sixer favorite Wilson Chandler. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a, it was a nutty game, and I, I really I did think that we were going to be dropping our, uh, you know, our home game here and one that you kind of banked in as a win automatically. But, you know, I, I think even without Ben Simmons, this was a 
pretty strong performance, but yeah, I, I think we we noticed his absence in that game. Um, you know, and typically we've seen that a lot with Embiid when we we miss Embiid because those happen more frequently mm-hmm. just due to his his load management and some of his injuries. Um, it's not as often that we don't have Ben Simmons. So, you know, to to kind of see the difference in the way we play with and without him was a uh, it was definitely there. You know, especially defensively, and um, I I don't think it's to me it's not all that of a shock either that we didn't shoot the three very effectively without him because he is such a great passer. Uh, he is such a threat that he draws that attention, and I, I think that's th- those things are linked for sure to me. Yeah, and I mean, playing without Ben Simmons in this game, it just proved how important he is throughout you know the course of a game. Sure, Joel's our best player, and he proved that uh, the other night on Thursday with the, the point total he was able to put up and just the performance he had, but... It's so obvious that this team also needs Ben Simmons, and the whole narrative of those two can't play together was completely shut down in my book. You know, not that it wasn't before, but without Ben Simmons in this game, obviously Glenn Robinson the third starts and only has four points in 14 minutes. Josh Richardson didn't have his best performance on the night either, and Howell Neto just is not the answer at point guard. Yeah, Howell has uh, definitely had some some rough times um, so far, and you know, outside of the uh, a few few good performances from him. He's been pretty underwhelming at times. Um, you know, I, I think Ben and Joel can coexist. They're not the, obviously the most ideal fits, right? You know, like uh, that's that's not a secret, but they can certainly coexist on the court together very well, and we've seen that. And I think what they bring, especially what Ben brings defensively, I think was missed the most, just because it's a pretty gaping hole that you're leaving, and you know, to have someone of his size and athleticism and ability missing on any given night is is definitely a loss for us. So. Um, all that said, though, to, to still come out with a win um, against, you know, a, a playoff team in the Nets. They're obviously not really much of contenders this year, at least. And uh, they're without Kyrie again, but they typically have actually been playing better without him. So uh, this is where kind of... Where have we seen that before? <laughs> yeah, where, where have we seen, you know, a, a team a team in the East that just plays better without Kyrie Irving? That's weird. Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think it's still a strong win, and you know this is kind of the best iteration of this Nets team so far this season because they've they've played so much without Kyrie that uh, it's this is more what we've seen from them. So yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's a strong win just to to keep it rolling and keep some of that momentum from you know uh, your pre All Star break. And I mean it was also important because the Heat drop a game, you know, and you're essentially fighting for the fourth seed now and fighting for home court advantage with the Heat. So. Anytime you're able to take up any kind of advantage on them, I think that's going to be crucial for the Sixers. I think the biggest things that stood out to me is just, again, the minutes distribution. Sure, Ben was out, but for Tobias Harris to play 46 minutes in this game is a little aggressive to me. Um, Sure, guys weren't hitting, but again, Mike Scott didn't play in this game at all. Um, I'm pretty sure he could have given Tobias some burn where you don't have to play him close to, you know, 50 minutes in this one. That's a lot to me for a guy like Tobias. I mean, the overtime obviously doesn't help uh, in that regard, but yeah, it's, um, and, and we've seen this not uh, not infrequently with this team where there's a, a reliance on some of the, you know, the, the top three or four guys to, to really carry the load, um, not even just minutes-wise, but even usage, and um, yeah, I think Tobias got the full brunt of it, but you know, it's also his first game back from the All-Star break mm-hmm. too, so yeah, maybe guys a little more energized, you don't have to stress too much about it it's not like this is on you know night three of a six game road trip or something like that uh, where you pay attention to those those miles logged a little bit more clearly but yeah it's the minute distribution has been a question mark a lot this season and you know even go back to to the Trey Burke days um 
you know, and, and him not getting any any time, despite the fact that he had played well and that you know the team really could have used someone like him. You know, I, it's that to me is a, a little confusing. But you know, Brett Brown maybe has learned his lesson because Alec Burks is actually getting time, or maybe Alec Burks is just a better fit. Alec Burks was really great in this game, really mm-hmm. showcased um, just the type of performances that we we're looking to get at the trade deadline. Uh, with, with any kind of addition, and, and he's been that guy for us. And you know, I think we we win this game in large part because of his performances, you know, in overtime. And uh, you know, coming off the bench like that, you know, you talk about Ben Simmons not being available to play, Burke stepping up big time. I think uh, with with those minutes, you know, even more opened up for him. Yeah, I mean, Alex. Alec Burks in in 30 minutes, 19 points and four rebounds, and really helped dominate in that overtime. Uh, and late in the fourth quarter, it was kind of him and Embiid putting the team on their back late in this game and and asserting their dominance over this Nets team. That, like you said, they're a playoff team, but they're you know they're at the bottom, and you should be winning this game. It shouldn't take overtime typically, yeah. but for the Sixers to come away and gut a win out like this. Uh, shows a lot, especially coming out of the All-Star break. I mean, let's not forget, too, this very much the same Nets team came to the Los Fargo Center last year and beat the brakes off them mm-hmm. in the first game of the playoffs. Like, you know, we, you, know, you can say whatever you like about them, and they're not a very good team, but this team has shown a capability to, to beat the other strong contenders. And, you know, again, you know, not even a year ago, they, they did the same in, in a playoff atmosphere, you know, where you'd expect a team like the Sixers to step it up. And, you know, it was a big punch in the face for them. So it's not like there's no history here for the Nets coming to Philly and, and making a big statement. But I think they, more than anything, this just shows how dominant the Sixers have been at home, that even when they're down 20, um, there's something about the mentality of this team and, and being in the Wells Fargo Center that, that kind of urges them on, despite even being booed. Um, and, you know, it was uh, I said it was a nice break for everyone from the Sixers, just kind of having some time to to relax and chill out and you know it's kind of just funny the first first game back booze booze at halftime um but warranted because warranted yeah the nets did go on a 44 to 10 run uh which is just absolutely stupid no team should come back from that and win no like that's that's the the and i mean you have to say that's that's an impressive win in that regard and um i do wonder though if that type of performances on the road this team does not come back from that not um, at all you know, there's, especially there's, with the history that we've seen this season from them there's there's something about being at home that uh that really you know just charges them and you know i hi <laughs> <I>, man <laughs> it's just i i kind of checked out at halftime i was like all right i'm i'm going to sleep because I, I don't even want to think about this game but you know it's um ultimately a really good win and you have a a very difficult very difficult test tonight yeah not at home. Uh, you bring your 9-19 and road record into Milwaukee again. Uh, we all know what happened the last time the Sixers played in Milwaukee. was part of that three-game stint against the top teams in the East. Uh, this is a big-time, you know, gut check. You know, the Sixers got to go into Milwaukee and prove that they belong in this echelon because they haven't been able to get it done on the road. The Celtics... You know, on opening night, I believe is the most dominant road win that they've that had, home. and that was at home. Yeah. The the one Celtics road win, though, yeah. I think was, is the you know, three months ago. At yeah, this point. you know, this is a different iteration <laughs> yeah. of the Sixers. Um, that's like your one marquee road win. Build upon that in this second half. You have, you know, this is going to be your toughest test the rest of this month and going into uh, the month of March. You have a much easier schedule, so if you can eke out these wins against big-time teams. Obviously, you got the, the Clippers and Lakers to start off the month of March. Prove that, you know, you should be talked about in this 
grouping of teams like the Raptors, like the Bucks, and the Celtics right now, and and go get a statement win against one of your you know division your conference rivals. I mean, this has been a really strong Bucks team this year. There's obviously no secret about mm-hmm. that, you know. Um, but let's not forget that they, uh, you know, we got blown out in Milwaukee, but they also came to Philly and, and got equally torched on, on Christmas Day. And that feels like forever ago, of course. But um, it's tough. You know, Ben is, is still probable for tonight. No one's really sure. Um, even his injury itself was a little, I don't want to say suspicious, but it was just kind of came out of nowhere that he had this uh, this back soreness. And you know, better to take precaution, obviously, than, than risk him at, at this stage of the season. But um, him playing or not playing could be a, a huge, huge linchpin to, to this tonight. And, um, you know, I don't really have any positive expectations for this game because this season has just taught me not to expect anything from the Sixers on the road, uh, especially going to a place like Milwaukee who have, you know, you know, best record in the league and, you know, just like us are incredibly dominant at home, but they're also dominant everywhere. Um, but I'm looking more for uh, – Obviously, I want this team to win, and I hope they do, but I'm not counting on it. I, I'm looking more at actual performances and what we match up with them because, mm-hmm. you know, the interesting thing is since we're almost certainly going to be a four or five seed and should we win, hopefully that first, that would be a disaster if we go in the first round. But should we win, the Bucks are very likely to be our second-round opponent. And, um, you know, it, this team has sort of built itself with the idea in mind of beating the Bucks. Um, but I think they imagine it in the conference finals and to they then go and be a finals favorite. So I'm, uh, I'm very intrigued to see how we line up. Uh, how minutes are staggered tonight, and you know who's responsible for guarding who. I, I think that'll be you know, kind of more important note taking of this game than the the result. Because ultimately, I I just don't see us winning in Milwaukee. Um, I, I think you have to be a little bit nuts to think that we're going to just based off of how good Milwaukee is and based off of just how absolutely crap we've been on the road. I, I don't. I just don't see it happening. And I'm usually pretty optimistic about the Sixers' chances. Um, I just I don't see it tonight, really. Yeah, I'm looking to confirm because when I just pulled up uh, the old webpage for Google here, uh, it said from USA Today that Ben Simmons was going to be available mm-hmm. to play. Going to look and see if I can confirm that. But if Ben does play, that just adds that whole extra added element of defense. You know, it gives you more options on Giannis, who that's your primary you know worry in this matchup. Everybody else gets better because they're around Giannis in this in this box team and if you can you know do as much as you can to neutralize what he does like you did on christmas day you're in for a, a successful night yeah i think that you know the christmas day game is the blueprint for how to beat this box team and some of that i think was just Giannis having an off day mm-hmm. um, but i think there's there's definitely some you know correlation with how stingy the sixers defense has been this year and, and how you know effective we were at shutting Giannis down and you know that's a lot. Of, it's a lot easier said than done, and you know it's especially when you know you talk about home versus on the road. But um, Ben would play a big role in that, and not necessarily on Giannis, but you know it gives you know someone like Embiid and potentially even Horford. We'll see what happens with him because um, he's another guy that I think the Sixers are banking on. You know, being a quote unquote Giannis stopper. Um, you know, it, it, does he get the start again tonight? Who knows, right? Or are we going to see more Horford Embiid minutes? And again, you know, we we highlighted last time we talked that. Yes, obviously the offense looks better without Horford, but let's not forget when Horford's you know in that starting five that this is a, an elite defense, you know, and uh, that can't be forgotten. And I think you beat the Bucks defensively. I, I don't think your your either team is really 
built necessarily to be this like free-flowing offense. Mm-hmm. I don't really see that with the Bucks, and I think that's why they have. Uh, for me, I think they're going to struggle in the playoffs, at least you know, in conference finals and NBA finals. Should they get there, because so much of that does run through Giannis and. You know, we've seen in the past, you know, even with one of the greatest players I've ever seen in my life, LeBron James, you know, <laughs> you saw it with the, the Cleveland, you know, the last few years of that stint that, you know, greatness in one position can only get you so far if everyone right. else is incapable of, of stepping into that moment. And that's not to say, obviously, the cast around Giannis is better than I think the last two seasons of, of Cleveland, what LeBron had. But I, I think that, you know, that that could be a big impact for them. And the Sixers can make the, you know life difficult for Giannis. They make life difficult for the team overall. You know, I, if you know, make Chris Middleton beat you, make Brook Lopez right. beat you. I think that's the the recipe. If and it's, I think it was similar even to, to how you treated Kawhi last year. That nearly worked. Like, you know, Kawhi is going to get 35 a night against us. But you know, if we can limit what Danny Green does, if we can limit Kyle Lowry, if if we can you know limit Pascal, like that's that's the way you almost beat the Raptors. And I think it's very very similar to how you you attack the Bucks. Yeah, and uh, confirmed from Kyle Newbick and Derek Bodner, Ben Simmons is available tonight. Awesome. So that is a huge uh, boost for this Sixers team and for the starting lineup. Gives you more depth. And uh, like we said, gives you that defensive switchability with what Ben's able to do on defense. I mean, Ben's been – Ben had good performances against the, mm-hmm. the Bucks. You know, I mean, even against some of the other top teams, we've seen him, especially when he gets aggressive and is able to force fouls, get to the line. You know, those things open up not just possibilities of him at the free throw line, but open up possibilities of guys – I think we missed a little bit of that against Brooklyn where people had a little more, you know, open space on the perimeter to, to take those shots and, and get those looks that we want. Totally agree. And it's going to be an interesting matchup. Hopefully the uh, the Sixers can pull this one out and, and kind of silence a lot of the, the national haters and doubters of this team because deep down we all know this team is very good. They just have to go out and prove it, and they have failed to do so on multiple occasions this year. Yeah, I mean, especially on the road, <laughs> um, that's that's been the, the biggest thing. You know, this team has impressed us when they're they're playing in Philly. But anytime they they get on a plane or a train, something happens to them, and um, that's why I'm not super optimistic tonight. Just because I uh, I I just uh, it, it feels it just feels crazy to think that they can go into Milwaukee and win. But if they do, I mean, that's another feather in your cap and. You know, despite how bad they've been on the road against you know the other top teams, whenever anyone's gone come to Philly this year, they've they've absolutely gotten worked over by the Sixers team, and that that gives me some uh, some hope for the playoffs. So, you know, maybe you know this last quarter of the season now you're in, you see some progression in how this team plays on the road. Um, but I mean, you, you look at that. You, know, you talked about that last road trip, um, you know, right before the All Star break, where. You know, you even got dusted by the Hawks on the road. Yep. Which, you know, are certainly a team that can on any given night win, of course, you know, but still a lowly team that you should be putting away and, you know, you were you were blown apart by them. And that's that's unacceptable. And so hopefully we see uh, some better road performances, you know, in this last last bit of the season here. Especially with the the easiness of the schedule compared to the first Absolutely. half of the season. You have you have one of the easiest schedules in the NBA, which again, mm-hmm. you know, I think gives me a lot of optimism for this this last part of the season simply because you you do have so many easier opponents and you know to, to make it through what a gauntlet that we had really through the first you know two-thirds of the season now coming into the final stretch you know if you can you turn a few of those road losses now in, uh, into wins you know you're going to be in a much better position and you know it's obviously all about seeding you'd like to potentially get to the three seed that's going to be a I think a pretty 
pretty big ask of this team, but you you definitely want to at least get you know home court advantage against Miami, you know, for for potential series there because I I don't think you want to have you know no shot of a, of a game seven at home for pretty much any point in this playoffs because that's the first round is I think the only time the Sixers are going to have a real look at it. Yeah, and the Sixers got a nice little gift with the Heat losing the other night, so they're only a half game back of Miami in the uh, Eastern Conference standings. They're four and a half games back of the Celtics and uh, six full games back of the Raptors, which we all know that two seed's more than likely locked up now. But I-, I think you can still catch the Celtics depending on you know how you attack the schedule. And it all starts tonight in Milwaukee. If you can get a dominant win like that uh, and just continue building in the Eastern Conference, there is a real chance that you could end up getting that three seed. Yeah, I mean, if, if three 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 seed is in reach, mm-hmm. like by, I just think it's it's more likely to me that this team finishes, you know, at the four or the five at this point because, you know, you have to say the Celtics have been playing very well and um, don't like saying that, but you know they're they're uh, they're cruising and you know Sixers have not had the consistency like that really outside of like the first month of the season to be that good. So hopefully we see, you know, again, it, is it conceivable that they catch the three seed? Yes, but I just I don't see it. We're throwing another. We're throwing another party, Matt. Uh, March twenty-first. It's a Saturday. The Wells Fargo Center parking lot G, part four, of the Mike Scott Hive tailgates. We're throwing Sixers at him a birthday party. Shout out to Deer Park, as we have here on the broadcast. Not a sponsor of the show, but they are helping out for the tailgate. Uh, there is an RSVP link on the Mike Scott Hive Twitter, which is at Mike Scott underscore Hive. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Come out. We're, we're going to be a big part of it. Um, looking forward to it. And uh, Sixers Adam will finally be legal to go cover a Sixers game for the first time in his life, which yeah, is going to be, be a lot of fun. he's going to be freed from NBA jail, which is great. <laughs> but uh, you, know, you know who's not free from jail, Matt? The Phillies. Yeah, or the Fanatic, apparently. <laughs> that, too. we got a lot to talk about with the Phillies. First off, uh, JT Real Muto loses – his arbitration case, Yikes. and he was not happy about it, not necessarily with the team, but with the process of how arbitration goes and how outdated it is. A lot of people freaking out, like, I can't, his quote saying that he doesn't know how to predict the future and everything. JT is going to be here. You know, he's sure stated so. it multiple times that he has no intentions of leaving. He wants to be here long term. He's more or less annoyed with the process of how arbitration went. We know his quotes about how he wanted to kind of, you know, revolutionize and change the game for the catcher position and for him to get... Technically he did because he still is the highest paid yes. catcher to come out of It just wasn't the, the heights that he wanted to reach. But but for him to get denied $2 million by the arbiter I think is ridiculous because of just what JT brings, especially defensively, and then what he brings to the plate as a, as a hitter. He is one of the best catchers we've seen, I think, in baseball history. Yeah, he's, he's a great catcher, and um, you know, obviously you want to have him here long term. I think one, for me, one positive that I'm taking out of all this is this entire time he's talking about how he understands arbitration isn't the Phillies trying to screw him out of money, that this is the way it goes, mm-hmm. and he doesn't like the process, obviously, and he has a right to, to not like it, especially now that the verdict has been reached and it's not favorable to him at all. But I think he's been pretty clear about understanding that um, there's there's a difference between you know the Phillies and, and this arbitration process and you know let's not forget too the Phillies have only had him for the last year you know and arbitration is based partly on your entire career's mm-hmm. body of work so you know if the Phillies had drafted him and and now it feels you know 
maybe that that sting feels a little more real. Um, but I, I don't know how much uh, bad blood he holds towards the Phillies, and that's why you know you saw that stat too. It was like I forget what it was. It was like it was like a hundred percent of players to have lost arbitration in this circumstance have left in free agency, yeah. like whatever. But I think this is a a different circumstance simply because um, one, he still is being really. Let's be honest, he's getting $10 million a year. Yes. Like, it's not like this dude got screwed out of, like, tons right. of money. It's not like he's Aaron Judge and he's going to be paid, you know, eight hundred grand, you know, for the next mm-hmm. seven years. Like, he's still being paid and compensated well, and he's going to be paid and compensated well, hopefully by the Phillies, when it's time to actually agree on a long-term contract. And, you know, everything that I feel like, you know, from both of them, you know, the, the Phillies and Real Muto's camp is that this, you both want to be here, and, and both seem to enjoy Philly, I think, Phillies would be absolutely brain dead to not extend him considering what you gave up for him and the fact that he's so good and I think Real Muto you know why move again I think this is a, an ideal situation for him he seems to enjoy it uh, him and Bryce seem close and you know you never know who joins up in the future that could even further encourage right. him to stay um, so I, I feel I feel overall it sucks for JT but I, I don't think this really hurts our chances like some some people want to think that it does yeah and I don't think it hurts the relationship he has with the front office or anybody with the team like we said he's more disappointed in the process and the system that went down more than you know losing the case itself so she has every right to be aggrieved exactly arbitration is stupid um (laughs) baseball baseball has a lot of problems with uh with how it you know treats its players and its stars and uh man you remember uh last season when the Fanatic was uh, getting sued, potentially, about uh, his rights and how the Phillies might have to relinquish those. Well, uh, the Phillies are finding a loophole here, and the Fanatic's getting a makeover. Don't worry, though. According to Jim Salisbury, he's still going to be green, furry, uh, and, and your typical Fanatic, but his shoes might be different, his socks might be different, and some of his measurements may be different. Uh, the result of some off-season work in the weight room, perhaps. But the Fanatic getting a bit of a makeover to uh, avoid Copyright. legal issues. <laughs> it's um, it's unbelievable uh, that we're at this stage now where um, you know you're having to change. It's kind of interesting because you, it's a whole different perspective on you know. Like, this mascot has been, I think the Fanatic is one of the most recognizable mascots. I think he's Mm -hmm. very, like, for me, heavily linked with the Phillies, like, as a team, you know, because he's so iconic to now see it different. You know, everything before this is going to be, like, a collector's item. So if you have any, like, Fanatic's gear, any, like, you know, patches or plushies or whatever, I guess that's going to be even more valuable in in the future. But um, I'm glad nothing, like drastic is changing because mm-hmm. you know like it's it's part of the the identity of the team now and i think you know they were one of the first teams to have a mascot so out there like him and you know i think to to be kind of progressive in that way if you want to say about about your mascot is is cool it's a cool part of your history he's a cool mascot and i'm glad we're gonna have you know, He's still going to be around. Of what made him the fanatic? <laughs> uh, and Jim Salisbury goes on to write and says, "Changes are nothing new for the fanatic. His shape, markings, and attire have evolved over the years. And evolve is probably the right word because, according to the Phillies media guide, he was born in the Galapagos Islands, which is the place that helped Charles Darwin form his theory of evolution. Um, and the Phillies purchased the rights to the fanatic in 1984." Uh, but federal law allows artists to renegotiate rights to their work after 35 years, and that's where this whole lawsuit potentially came from. Um, it's it's really dumb 
that you know the the creators of this are, are just trying to go and get a money grab knowing how long the fanatic has been part of the Phillies organization um, but Jim ends it off with, uh, you know, rev up the four-wheeler. Can't wait for Sunday in the big reveal because he will be revealed tomorrow because today's Phillies game, not on TV. Tomorrow's game is on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I, I still don't know why we're not televising more uh, more, uh, more spring training games in just any way you can, really. But, yeah, I'm I'm glad, uh, like I said, I'm glad we're, we're keeping the fanatic around. We're not, we're not losing him to the dust here. And, um, you know, I guess it would be kind of cool seeing – whatever changes uh, they've legally had to make <laughs> um, but uh you know it's it's a uh, it's an interesting world we live in Phillies though first game of spring training gets underway in just a little bit uh your lineup today Scott Kingry leading things off playing second base wow never thought I'd say that uh Adam Hazley in center field Reese Hoskins hitting third at first base Nick Williams batting cleanup in right field Davey Grion uh, doing the catching, Logan Forsythe playing third base, Mickey Matuk playing left field, Ronald Torres playing shortstop, and our guy DHing Phil Goslin and Nick Pavetta, a game one starter. Shout out Jack Fritz. <laughs> yeah. So excited to watch Nick Pavetta. <laughs> uh, Phillies at Tigers. Uh, spring training is just always fun because you get to watch guys play baseball for the first time in months. Um, you get to see some players that you necessarily won't see to start the season. And, um, you know, it just gives everybody an opportunity to just uh, get back in the swing of things and, and kind of get that early taste of spring and summer. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little appetizer for, for what's to come. And, you know, baseball is such a long season, but, you know, it, it feels like forever since you've had it in your life, even mm-hmm. though it's only been a few months. So good to have it back in any shape. I never get, you know, super excited about spring training uh, just because to me it's – I don't know. It's it's nice having it on the background, checking in with it, but I've never been one to get uh, you know overly intrigued about it. But you know, it's still uh, like I said, it's so good to have you know the the Phillies back and interested to see who can make any kind of improvements and you know who looks good, who doesn't. You know, I think there's pretty much everywhere you look on that list, guys that you're intrigued in. Um, for me, Reese is again critical to this season. Looking forward to seeing how uh, how he hits today. Obviously a lot has been made about his batting stance and and what that's going to do for his game. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to you know be on the lookout for how Reese performs in spring training. Even someone like Pavetta who, you know, it feels like we're we're constantly being sold on. Um, you know, curious to see kind of just any kind of rhythm that he can establish and I think uh, everyone deserves a uh, you know kind of a, a fresh start, mm-hmm. you know, with this spring training just because there has been some some pretty serious change, you know, within the Phillies. So, I'm willing to give everyone a, another shot. Yeah, who, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of guys on this team that are new, a lot of returning guys. Who's the Philly that intrigues you the most going into this season now that we're, you know, getting set for essentially the preseason of baseball? Um, you know, Reese is up there for me. I, I'm I'm most looking forward to seeing if Alec Boehm has any kind of impact uh, just because he's intriguing to me and in that I love him. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's an interesting prospect for us. And, you know, both in terms of what he can bring to the team and also in the fact, and I don't like saying this, but that he could be a trade piece mm-hmm. and him performing well would 
help the team in the short term and could potentially help in the long term, whether that's because he's here for, you know, 10, 15 years or because he helps you bring in someone like Chris Bryant, right? Not necessarily Chris Bryant himself. But, um, yeah, I think I think everyone's kind of looking forward to seeing guys like Alec Boehm. You know, if, if we see Spencer Howard as well, like those are those are two names that I think we've, we've talked about for a long time now that we, we want to see play at a higher level, right? And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing if we get anything out of them spring training to really, like, sink our teeth into. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about Gene Segura. You know, he through the first couple months Dropped was hitting weight. <laughs> was was hitting over 300 and then the McCutcheon injury happened and and things just started to decline. He got a, he suffered a couple injuries. Who knows if that was just from the added weight, especially since they were the groin injuries. Um I'm really intrigued to see what he's going to be able to do because it's going to change a lot of what this lineup does. If he's successful, where does that put Scott Kingry? You know, if, if Scott Kingry is successful, what are they going to do with Gene Segura? Does he get traded? Is he somebody that, you know, is willing to come off the bench because Scott Kingry is playing well? Um, you know, does Gene play third base? We haven't seen Gene Segura play third base uh, much in his career. So it's, he's a very intriguing piece to how this whole, you know, Philly's machine kind of operates. And I'm, I'm excited to see how Joe Girardi kind of plays it with him knowing that, one, Gene can be versatile, and two, you also have a guy like Scott Kingery who's kind of been your super utility guy, but if he plays well, what do you do with Gene Segura? I, I think Segura, too, is another one kind of in the bone category of, you know, if he's playing well, that's that's good for the Phillies mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because he's another guy that could potentially be a move. So if his value you know, creeps up a little bit this year, uh, that could be advantageous for the uh, the Phillies at the trade deadline, at least. So, um, yeah, Gene's, Gene's a good highlight, and, you know, obviously anytime you see someone you know talk about how they've lost weight or feel like they they finally got healthy you know we've been sold that story by someone like jake arietta before Mm -hmm. um you know it it adds a little extra intrigue but yeah gene i you know i love him i I think like you said he had a a really strong start to the season he's always been a pretty good player it's not as if he's he's a chump or anything um you know it's just defensively there's question marks but certainly you can't question him really as much about it in terms of, of hitting and um, obviously not a you know a big power guy, but I think he's he's a really really interesting player for the Phillies this year. He's one of those tone setter guys where you know if he hits second, he's going to get on base. He's going to slap guys over. Uh, if they're on first, you can go first to third with Gene Segura. Yeah. Um, he's going to hit for average. Last year we did see you know quite a bit of power from him. I think coming to a, a ballpark like Citizens Bank Park did a lot for him there. And you know he went through a lot last year. Not only the you know McCutcheon injury, you know. Was it his fault? Was it not? Uh, his weight gain, and then also his grandmother passing away during the season, paid you know a heavy toll on him and uh, him coming to a new environment again in his career. Like there was a lot that kind of was on Gene Segura's plate last year, and I think now that it's kind of just clean slate, let's get into the season, new manager. Um, I think a lot is going to be uh, intriguing about what he's able to do this season. I'm excited to see how he kind of bounces back. Yeah, I don't think you can understate really the value of consistency and rhythm. Um, even, you know, just think in your normal daily life how much routine you have and how com- more comfortable that makes you. Anytime there's something to upset that routine, it just throws your day for a curve. And, um, you know, that's without having to move across the country and uh, make new friends and, you know, be in a, a new environment into different standards. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, now this is his first, you know, full season that he's, you know, you know, he, he wasn't traded off season to the Phillies. Now he's a little more settled in. Um, you know, obviously there are some new changes because he has a new manager to, to, to work with. But you know, Girardi's obviously experienced. He's someone that's going to be able to handle someone like Gene. And um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I hope that uh, that helps, you know, his tr- full transition out to being, uh, you know, a really great player for us. I'm also excited about Adam Hazley. He's a guy that got called up during the season last year because of the McCutcheon injury, and I think it was kind of rushed. Uh, we talked about that last year when he did get called up. He just didn't seem like he was fully ready, and then he got injured, was trying to hide the injury so he could stay up and not disappoint, you know, his teammates and, and the managing staff. But I think Adam Hazley getting a full season now potentially to, you know, lock in as your center fielder, I think is a, a huge uh, potential for how the Phillies drafted over these past few years. And if you can hit on Adam Hazley, that's a, a big boost to these, you know, this outfield, and um, you know, also helps your your minor league system a little bit and kind of lets you get a longer look at some guys like uh, you know Mickey Moniak and the rest of the guys down in AAA and AA in that position more and not have to rush them up. Yeah, I think easily too, you know, it showed some really bright stuff last year uh, when he was up. He had, you know, obviously it's tough coming in, you know, at the time of the season when he did, you know, he's coming in you know, middle of the summer and having to replace a, obviously a great player in McCutcheon. So um, I think it was always a, a lot of pressure on him, but um, I, I am looking forward to him as well. You know, there's, <laughs> you could really look forward to every player yeah. this year just because I think there's there's either we haven't seen enough of someone like Hazley yet to, to really have a firm judgment on and I think there's still a lot of potential there or you know just seeing someone like Bryce who you know is going to come out and be great and you're just excited to, to see him play again so um, pretty much every angle you look at it with this Phillies team there's definitely a, a plenty to be optimistic about. Especially you know a new guy like Didi Gregorius coming in new place for him coming off a down year because he was recovering from that Tommy John surgery. He's poised to be a potential comeback player of the year if he can, you know, go back to what he was a couple seasons ago with the Yankees. I mean, even last year when he played, he had a, he had a very strong season. Um, again, it was just, you know, staying healthy and, and working his way back from injury is always a big, big question mark. And, um, you know, it's a one-year deal for him too. So mm-hmm. he, has, he has plenty to play for. Um, you know, he's kind of playing for his you know, future career now and, and that next contract. So, you can't undervalue that either. You know, he has all the motivation in the world, and he's back with a familiar face in Joe Girardi. And, Which I think is a big boost for him. Absolutely. You know, I think that's that's going to help him. You know, it's kind of one, I feel like, one less thing that he probably has to worry about. You know, mm-hmm. I think anyone in his position might, you know, question how they're going to be received and um, you know, have uh, maybe some hesitation about, you know, working with a new manager, especially, again, coming off another kind of weird season for yourself. So, um, I, hopefully now, you know, with Joe Girardi there, it's that extra kind of security blanket for him and someone that he's used to working with, someone that I think he's he's comfortable with. Um, so, and, and that'll, I think, be, be positive. For if I'm not mistaken, Philly's bench coach was also the bench coach when Didi was yeah. in New York before uh, Girardi was let go. So, that's another boost for him, you know, in the clubhouse. He's got a lot of familiar faces around. Um, and then you look at, you know, guys on this pitching staff. Ranger Suarez is somebody who's very intriguing. There's talk that they could be, you know, stretching him out again to be a starter, which would be huge to have kind of that left-handed starter in this rotation for the first time in a long time. Um, he showed flashes a lot last year out of the bullpen. We'll see if he can, you know, get back to that, that starter caliber. Uh, that he was kind of, you know, touted as down in the minors. You've got, you know, a guy like Vince Velasquez. Can he find it in the bullpen? You know, last year was we saw a lot from him in the bullpen because he only had to go through somebody's, you know, batting order once or twice. But once Vince hit that third go-round, that's when it seemed to kind of implode. So if you can kind of limit what he sees, uh, you know, in his appearances – 
I think Vince could be a, a lethal weapon out of the bullpen. It's just about managing it properly. Yeah, and I think that was one of you know Clint, uh, Clint, ah, geez, Kapler's, <laughs> one of Kapler's biggest weaknesses was his his bullpen and really, frankly, overall pitching management. It wasn't good, which doesn't fall obviously directly on him. But you also have to be pitching coach this year, so hopefully, you know, a lot of that has changed. Um, but you know, a lot of the pitchers were very vocal last year about how they had no rhythm, um, that they were low on confidence. There's that a they, lot of numbers being thrown at them. You know, just just a lot of deviation from what they were used to and comfortable with, and that's that's a lot. You know, pitchers are, are weird people. Uh, they're creatures of habit, and I, I imagine they're also very superstitious. They they like having the same things in a, in a routine, and anytime you change that, it's a big risk. And hopefully now uh, things can be a little more settled. And I expect Girardi to handle their confidence, everything a lot. <laughs> better you know you Jordy's never really worked with great pitchers but he's made no. the best out of them you know you even think the, the best pitcher he probably worked with was CC and, yeah you know that that was really it with those Yankees teams he never really had the the dominant you know units that that the Yankees have had in the past mm-hmm. you know really the Yankees are all never really had like absolutely yeah they've pitchers. always been kind of looking for that dominant pitcher they usually they finally one, got it they have one you know that they signed in free agency of course um and, and that's about it. And everyone else is kind of a, a hodgepodge, you know, mm-hmm. piece. And, but he made it work, you know. I mean, you know, this was a, a pitching unit that beat the, the Phillies in 09, and mm-hmm. that was one of the best, you know, offensive teams that, that you, you had during that, that year. So, um, you know, you can't discount what, what Girardi could potentially you know, work with, with this team. Another guy that was facing arbitration, but they, uh, they agreed to a settlement and a contract is Hector Neris. Uh, he's going to be getting paid, I believe, $4.6 million this year, and there's a club option for 2021. You and I are kind of in the minority. We love Hector Neris. I think we think great. he's a great pitcher. Uh, Boomer, Phillies Twitter, you know, they just – we put out the announcement that they uh, signed him on Twitter, and, you know, they're just like, oh, can't wait for the implosion. Hector Neris was very good last year. And no implosion. I mean, I didn't – if you had said this last year about, you know, being hesitant about Hector right. Neris, I think it's – Probably a little more deserved because he has been someone that has been you know, low in confidence in the past and, and prone to getting shelled. Um, but last year, I have to say, you know, he's probably a top three, you know, pitching, you know, uh, asset yeah. for us, you know, out of everyone. You know, I think the only pitcher you could really say was comfortably better than him was Aaron Nola last mm-hmm. year. I think everyone else is debatable. I mean, Hector was the only one out of the bullpen you really trusted. Um, he was the only one I felt comfortable with, and I mean, he had a really fantastic record. And um, so I, I, I love, I love having him back with this team, and, and hopefully we see some of that continuation again this year. I think if he has another year, even if it's just like last season, that's still another great year. But if he can develop even a little more this year, I think that's uh, that's that could be really huge for the Phillies. I think it's it's flown under the radar a little bit just how he was very good last year, and if he's able to take even the slightest step forward again this season, that that could be really impressive yeah like last season Hector Neris three and six sure you know wins and losses what do they truly mean uh when it comes to a, a relief pitcher it's all circumstantial really but he had a 293 ERA in 68 games 28 saves in less than 68 innings pitched and a 1.02 whip with 89 strikeouts like that was very good <laughs> especially when you consider the cliff that it falls off from everyone else compared to Hector Neris so I, you know, I'm not saying he's like a top five reliever in baseball of course but you know if you compare him with the rest of what we were working with last year especially and what frankly we're going to be looking at again this year I, I'm not 
you know, blown away by our, our talent. Obviously, you know, people can make jumps and, and improve, and Naris is the, the case study for that. Last year, coming into the season, I don't think anyone is really excited to see Hector Naris, you know, step on the mound, whereas this year, I'm much more comfortable with him, and I, I'm a lot more confident, and hopefully he's the same, and hopefully someone else can have that kind of transition from, you know, being a shaky guy to a more reliable, uh, you know, piece to bring out of the bullpen. Put it in perspective, Hector Naris in 2018, Went one and three with a 5-1-0 ERA in 53 games. So he pitched in less games, had a higher ERA, uh, 11 saves in 14 save opportunities. Last year, 28 saves in 34 save opportunities. Hector Neris is a valuable part to this Phillies team, and you know, there's not many you know relievers in his echelon that I think I'd rather have than Hector Neris for this roster. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great fit. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm excited to see him again this year, which again would uh, would not have been a sentence I would have put together last last off season. And and last season, uh, opponent batting average, 186. Hitters were hitting 186 against Hector Neris last season, where as the season before, hitting 250. That's like your average baseball hitter right there, hitting off of your closer. Last season, sub 200 batting average. You will take that any day of the week from a guy who's at the back end of your bullpen and, you know, with some of the guys that are being brought in here that can actually throw speed now to be in front of Hector Neris. I think it's going to give him a boatload more confidence getting ready to go and pitch the ninth. And I think with the way that Joe Girardi and uh, Brian Price are going to handle this pitching staff, a lot of these pitchers are going to have more defined roles than they did in the Gabe Kapler era, which I think will help them mindset-wise get mentally prepared for coming into the game. It's less noise, less stuff to worry about. Um, you know, and I, I would imagine there would be less yo-yoing between being a starter and um, you know, being a, a relief pitcher uh, than we saw last year because it felt like, you know, there was three or four guys that were constantly in between. And even as a fan, it was exhausting because mm-hmm. it's like, I, you know, I, it, all that change I, I don't think was, was good for this team. So, yeah, I mean, and I think you make a good point about now with guys in front of him hopefully being a little more, you know, confident and, and having some, some different talent and some different ability. Um, that could do a lot of good for Neris as well, coming into a better situation. you got to think a lot of situations he went into last year were high-pressure situations mm-hmm. where he has – it's not like, you know, obviously anytime you're coming in as a relief pitcher, you – you're obviously tasked with making you know best of the situation, but he came into some really really high pressure and, and difficult uh, stints last season. So hopefully you see a little less of that this year. Yeah, uh, and as Post Malone plays here, is we're at Douche Arms in Vineland. Uh, did you see Post Malone at the Wells Fargo Center last night rocking a uh, white Iverson, Allen Iverson T-shirt that was very fresh? I'm a big Post fan, so that that filled me with uh, a lot of good feeling. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> uh, a little bit of Eagles news that has come out over the past couple days. The Eagles are uh, apparently looking to move on from Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, not really a shocker there, especially knowing his cap hit that's going to be there. But uh, a lot of reporters coming out and, and saying that, you know, that anonymous source was Alshon Jeffrey. Carson Wentz and Alshon never really saw eye to eye, which if that's true and, you know, all of this kind of comes to fruition – We've gone a long way since, you know, that 2017 offseason where Alshon said he signed with the Eagles because he wanted to play with Carson Wentz. I mean, that might have just been a lip service that he was sure. being paid. Because um, it seems like the more true side of it is that Alshon has some issue with Carson. I, I think there's there's more evidence to point to that than they have some beautiful friendship that's formed. Um, and, you know, 
I, I think it's it's obviously probably the right move for the, the Eagles to get out from, from under this just because he, he's not productive. Uh, his best-case scenario, hopefully after you draft this year and any free agent signings you make additional, um, he would be like a third or fourth option on this team. Um, and when he's being paid, he should be a clear number one. So hopefully you're able to, to get out from under that contract because uh, – Frankly, he's not worth the money um, with his injury problems that he had this year and his age. You probably would consider that that that's not going to be an anomaly. That he's probably going to have more injury issues this season again. So, um, the, I think the difficulty is going to be finding a, a partner in this. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice said on uh, BGN Radio. Uh, well, I think they just want to get him out of the building, and rightfully so. I mean, it's two straight years he's criticized the starting quarterback, and I think they know it was him. Uh, and then reports from The Athletic uh, said that Alshon Jeffries uh, has stated that he would welcome a change of environment this offseason. He also said that Carson Wentz and his relationship, quote, never saw eye to eye and their relationship was testy, which is also strange because, like, we saw Alshon and Carson at Sixers games together, you know, their first season here, or Alshon's first season here, I should say, and, you know, we've seen them together. But, you know, as time has gone on, you know, does this stem from, Alshon gets his first ring with Nick Foles, and they really built that relationship together, and he kind of, you know, is more of a fan of Nick Foles because he helped deliver Alshon's championship uh, the first time in his career. It's it's a very strange dynamic when it comes to Alshon and Carson, and if Alshon's on his way out, I think you can also appreciate what Alshon did for this Eagles team while still realizing that it's, it's time to move on. Yeah, I think, too, you know, Alshon – Certainly can't say he's been treated well because, you know, he obviously has that disastrous drop in the playoffs last last year, um, you know, that everyone kind of, you know, pat on the back and said, you know, it's all right, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, so I don't think he can say that he hasn't been supported well by, by the fans or really the team either. No one's thrown him under any buses uh, despite the fact that, yeah, he's been uh, kind of a snake in the grass about a lot of this stuff and has been uh, one of the reasons that, you know, uh, fans have been critical of Carson, you know, all this this kind of uh, source within the locker room kind of stuff, and the fact that he hasn't been he's been producing on the field either. You know, he's, he has been kind of he's, – he's turned really like a negative asset now uh, within the organization. So if you're able to move on from him, I think it's it's obviously the best move for, for probably even everyone mm-hmm. involved. And a uh, friend of the show, Brendan Walker, uh, tweeted uh, just yesterday, worth noting, Nelson Aguilar's game improved when Alshon came to Philly. Uh, Jeffrey inspired Aguilar to be a bet, be better, and he did. He had a spectacular year, uh, the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. After that, when all the drama started to spark up, Aguilar's game came back down to earth, and then he follows it up with the, uh, the old gif of a coincidence. I think not, and I kind of agree. You know, Alshon's first year, I think he came in here, was a leader in that wide receiver room, and it really helped elevate Nelson Aguilar's game and everybody in that wide receiver room. And then once all of the nonsense kind of started coming, you did see a decline in Nelson Aguilar's performances. I mean, this year was, this past year was disastrous for, uh, for anyone still on Aguilar Island. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's question marks not just around Jeffrey, but I think Aguilar himself as well is going to be another guy that uh, I think the Eagles would love to, to rub a, a magic lamp and get rid of this offseason. Thankfully, he's a free agent and yeah. he can just walk. Um but, yeah, I, I think this wide receiver group for the Eagles outside of, you know, Deshaun and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, 
is going to be very different next season. Absolutely, which, you know, again, looking at this draft class, it's uh, supposedly an elite wide receiver draft class. So if there's ever a year to go in with, uh, you know, the mindset of we need to address this, uh, this is the year to do it. And hopefully Eagles do that. Um, and we're not that far away either yeah. from, from really starting to sink our teeth into some of this, this pre-draft stuff. And the combine the is coming up. Coming up and um, you're going to start getting looks at these guys and the rumors will start and, um, you know, we even saw that uh, the lines are potentially open to trading their pick. There's always one in the top five, though, that's reportedly wants to trade their mm-hmm. pick. It's sort of 50-50 every year with whether or not that actually comes to fruition. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I have some other vested interest in, in what the Dolphins do this year. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the draft this season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, speaking of you know draft picks and everything, we put a poll out on Twitter yesterday because there are those rumors and reports that the Eagles are interested in, uh, you know, soon-to-be free agent corner Byron Jones, and then the reports that the Lions are looking to trade their star corner Darius Slay, who the Eagles were connected with uh, at the trade deadline and everything. So we put a ball out. You know, choose your corner. Would you rather trade, you know, say a third or a fourth-round pick for Darius Slay, who has proven kind of that ball hawk can cover, you know, your team's number one wide receiver? Or do you want to go and sign Byron Jones, who, you know, in Dallas may not be in the best position for his skill sets only has two interceptions in his entire career um, obviously one will cost you you know a draft pick and you'd have to extend Darius Slay as well as he enters the final year of his contract or do you just want to throw you know the bag at Byron Jones and knowing that he's the best corner on the market you're more than likely going to have to overpay that much more to get him I mean it's that to me just comes down to a question of what you value more, you mm-hmm. know, assets or cap flexibility. And the Eagles don't really have a ton of clap, uh, cap flexibility, you know, uh, how he's been. Until the, the moves come through. And yeah. the nice thing is this year is that quote-unquote uncapped year because mm-hmm. of the CBA and everything. Uh, so there is a little bit more maneuverability, I think, for the Eagles than there would be in years past. And, you know, Howie's obviously shown that he has uh, an extreme ability to uh, to create new room at any corner. But my, my point is that I don't think the Eagles have, you know, they don't have like what the Colts had last year, right, mm-hmm. where they have this well to really drink from. I think, you know, you really have room for one big signing and, um, you know, they're do you want to? Sp- it's just, do you value that having that extra cap flexibility or, or giving up an asset? And you know, you have to remember too, Darius Slay. You'd also have to overpay, mm-hmm. you know, because he's in the prime of his career. He's had, he just came off an excellent season. Um, you would have to pay him probably more than than what you'd pay Byron Jones, to be honest. Um, on top of having to give up some kind of draft asset to get him, and the Eagles have been hesitant to to pull the trigger on those types of deals. So if you're asking me what I think the Eagles are more likely to do, it'd probably be go after Jones, but. Um, I, I think it all. Your answer just depends on on what you value more um, from from the Eagles. And I think you know you look at it right now. According to uh, over the cap, the Eagles have just under forty five million dollars in cap space, and that's before you know any potential cutting of Jason Peters, the Alshon contract, and how that'll affect the cap and any other pieces. You know, we just saw Nigel Bradham uh, get his option declined, so that's not going to be in the the cards for their cap space uh, as well. So. There could be more cap space opened up here as well. And, you know, the nice thing is the Eagles gave Carson Wentz a much better contract than the, say, Los Angeles Rams did to Jared Goff, who was going to count for a boatload of money against their cap. Um, But me personally, I think I'd rather trade for Darius Slay. He's the more proven commodity. Um, You know, he's what this Eagles team needs in terms of, you know, interceptions from your secondary. 
And if you remember a couple years ago, the Eagles gave up a third-round pick and Jordan Matthews for Ronald Darby. And I'd say, you know, Darby was, was hit or miss a lot in his Eagles tenure. Um, granted, Darby was also cheaper because he was on his rookie contract. So you might be able to get away with only giving up a fourth-round pick to get Darius Slay in here. And with the number of draft picks the Eagles have, you'd essentially be drafting Darius Slay in the fourth round, and I think anybody would do that. Yeah, I think also, too, you have to remember that when we were all upset uh, that the Eagles didn't pull you know, the, the trigger on any trades um, you know, this in the regular season. This is why, because you go into the offseason where more big names can be available and, you know, you have just more to work with now. And, um, you know, you're able to capitalize potentially on a team like the Lions, maybe having a little bit of fire sale and maybe looking to to make some extra moves. Um, You know, that's why I think uh, they were hesitant for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think one of them is to to not give up that draft capital in the regular season when you know how important this draft can be at replenishing, you know, some of uh, the the talent that you're going to be losing over not just this year, but the next few years because you have to remember a lot of the, the big stars on this team it's sort of getting older yeah you have you have some aging aging boys in here and uh you know you you have to find replacements for them now you know you, you can't really wait on that um you, you have to figure out a way now to, to to bring some of that talent back in wrap some stuff up with some hockey uh flyers currently beating the jets one nothing thanks scott lawton but today is uh the 40th anniversary of the miracle on ice pretty insane to think about that that was you know 40 years ago sure we weren't alive then but you know we've seen the film and the, the documentaries and on everything on everything and uh you know just the historical importance of that game uh and a lot of people forget that that wasn't even the yeah. the gold medal game for us it was <laughs> but you know the miracle on ice 40 years ago today yeah it's uh definitely one of the most interesting uh interesting sports moments of you know like the the 20th century and um what it meant for for the country and yeah i mean it's obviously a heavy heavily politicized event now Mm -hmm. um but you know i think politics does play a role in sport and yeah i think the uh the 30 for 30 on that is is definitely worth worth a check out if if anyone's interested because it's it really dives more deeply into the kind of psychological effect that this had on the Soviet team. Because let's not forget, you know, this was a, it wasn't quite a David Goliath story like it's been told so often, but it certainly, you know, the USA was outmatched talent-wise uh, by, by the Soviet team, and they were much more professionals, whereas the U.S. team, you know, famously made up of a lot of, like, college kids mm-hmm. and, and you know, definitely a younger team. So um, it's an interesting look at the perspective that we don't get a lot, especially as Americans, on the Soviet side of it. And, you know, obviously that type of uh, – intertwining of politics and sport has continued now into, into the world that we live in today. You know, Russia obviously banned from uh, the Olympics um, and, you know, the, the doping scandals they've had, the doping scandals that US, U.S. athletes have had. Um, you know, the, these things matter and uh, they, they certainly, you know, every time you win a gold, uh, that matters to, to the political you know, section of, of whatever country you're from. And I think it's definitely one of the more interesting cases of that. And, you know, us doing the whole broadcast, podcast thing, to, to know that that was Al Michaels, on, you know, only his second hockey game he had ever called. Yeah. That's so impressive. Yeah, Al Michaels is great. You know, I've, everyone, like, craps so much on commentators and stuff. And um, I don't think there's any commentator that I personally, like, can't stand to listen to. Um, you know, I think it's an incredibly difficult job. And, uh, you know, you, you have to not only be knowledgeable of whatever game you're calling, you have to be knowledgeable of all the players, and you also have to provide good sound bites. And I think... 
you know, it's one of the most iconic uh, ones, uh, you know, calls of all time, especially again, you know, being Americans, like you hear that so much. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I think he, He's great, and I, I think a lot of people give him some unnecessary, you know, mm-hmm. stick about it. I think it's because he's paired with Chris Collinsworth. Who, which I think Chris Collinsworth is that bad. I know he, he can be a little funny sometimes mm-hmm. in what he says, and yeah, he. I think every, it's a lot of just the PFF in him since he bought the company, yeah. and it, he kind kind of tries to project that. Probably which is fine though. Yeah. You know, like you know, I would prefer that you know a commentator tries new things and, and tries to inject some different. The PFF stuff mm-hmm. isn't stuff that you typically hear from commentators. Right. You don't you don't hear usually more in depth statistics and stuff about players and uh, sort of actual analysis happening within the game. I, I think that's a little bit refreshing. It's why people love Tony Romo so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to in 10, 15 years when people complain about Tony Romo's annoying and they're saying that he sucks because it, it's it's a cycle. You just like Tony Romo because he's a new voice and yes, he's exciting. But already you have people annoyed about how much he highlights plays yeah. and stuff and how excited he gets. And it's like, what do you want from these guys? You know, it's, it's also like you the- can't please everyone. With, with commentators. The one good thing ESPN does, I think, with baseball season coming up is they have, you know, their analytics broadcast. And I think that's one of the most intriguing things because you get, you know, the different side of things and you learn about the game in a different way that it's being talked about, you know, from players, from coaches, from managers, and you kind of learn all of these kind of new era stats. And I think it's a, a revolutionized way of thinking in terms of, you know, just getting that information out to the fans through a broadcast and while they're still watching the game. I mean, it's not easy either to, you know, you and I, and I think probably people listening to this probably more sports forward Mm -hmm. probably understand, at least on a rudimentary level, more advanced statistics. But you have to think, like, there are people that outside of, like, an ERA have no clue. They probably don't even know, like, whip, like, what Mm -hmm. that's, what's good about that, what's bad about that. You know, you have to introduce millions of people in a broadcast to a new statistic that they've likely never heard of, have no reference point for, have probably never taken any statistics scores, have no idea what any of this is supposed to mean, and you have to introduce it and get them to understand it and put it in some kind of context. Like That's not easy to mm-hmm. do. <laughs> it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, so I, I think you know commentators in sports broadcasting always have a, a really tough task just because you can't please everyone. You know the the hardcore people who watch every game and no analytics are going to be like, oh, you know, they, they're being too basic. And then you know, people who like that basic commentary will get annoyed at the more in depth stats because they just want romanticism about their game. Yep. They don't care about you know whip and, and all that. It's what can you do? Flyers up two nothing now. Yes. Thanks again to Scott Lawton. Um, the Scott Lawton game. Keep it up, fly guys, because as our uh, our friend Brooke. Brooke Destra just tweeted, you know, the, the hockey hype in Philly is real. And it is. They are, they are proving to. They deserve Absolutely. Um, Matt, some, some nice, you know, odds and ends about the show. Uh, did some tests in the studio uh, the other day. Not only will we continue to broadcast on Facebook for our, our Facebook viewers and where we've built that audience, but we have the capabilities to now broadcast the show when we do our live shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays from the studio on Twitch. So we will be on both platforms starting on Wednesday night. So that is twitch.tv slash undergroundsportsphi. Make sure you follow us so you know when we go live, you'll get a push notification on your phone or if you set it up on your computer, twitch.tv slash undergroundsportsphi. We've got some original programs coming to our Twitch channel very soon. One of them already developed for football season. Our guys over at 4th and Goal uh, have developed a concept of doing a fantasy football show on Sunday mornings. Uh, once the season gets going. So starting this summer, the Breakfast Blitz 
is going to be coming to you on our Twitch channel as well. There's a Twitter account for that if you want to follow along. It's at Breakfast Blitz. Uh, very excited for the you know innovations we have coming in 2020. We told you guys we're doing a lot of new things, going to try some stuff out, and Twitch is definitely a big part of that. So make sure you follow our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash undergroundsportsphi. And uh, I think that's all we got for you guys. Big Wings game tonight uh, at the Wells Fargo Center against the Saskatchewan Rush. Uh, battle of first place teams in the West and the East. So make sure you follow at OTB Laxpod on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with the game tonight. And uh, as always, guys, show brought to you by our friends at Maine Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novig Automall. Like we said, they got that promo running. You got to take advantage of it. Give them a call or go to their website, bobnovigm.com. Uh, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. On the cusp of 2,500 uh, Twitter followers, big, big milestone there. And uh, make sure you follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina. Follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Same thing for Instagram as well at UndergroundPHI. Get us up to 500 Instagram followers. we got a nice little uh, giveaway planned uh, for that one. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. And you can check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. We'll be back on Wednesday night from the studio talking anything that goes down with the Flyers, the NHL trade deadline coming up on Monday. So if the Flyers make any moves, there's a lot of Jeff Carter rumors swirling around with the Fly guys. Um anything with the Sixers hopefully we're talking about a big win against the Bucks and uh keeping you up to date with everything going down in Clearwater for spring training and who knows Alshon might be gone by then but uh this has been Underground Sports Philadelphia episode number 213 thanks again to Ducharms for having us glad to be back and uh we'll catch you guys on Wednesday so for Matt I'm Kyle we are signing off peace